We're speaking of movies. How many of you do like movies? Okay, lots of hands go up. Okay, I love movies, but I hate spoilers. Anyone with me? Okay, yeah, I, when I go into a film, I want to know a general idea of what it's about, but I do not want you, like, ruining it for me. Uh, I like, that's one of the things I appreciate about IMDb, Internet Movie Database. Their reviews will say, like, you know, spoilers. So I know not to click that button and, and go on. I can read other reviews. I want to avoid the spoilers. I remember uh, a couple of years ago when Avengers Endgame came out, I watched this video of a youth pastor teaching in front of his youth group. And he started referencing this movie, and he shared one of the key critical things that happens towards the end of the movie. Now, if you've seen it, you know what I'm alluding to, but if you've not, you're going, whoa, what, what is it? Well, you have to go and watch it. However, this youth pastor didn't wait for his youth group to go and watch it. On the Wednesday after it came out, he blurts it out to everyone, using it as like an illustration in his message. And the kids start whining and complaining like, what? No, no, you did not. You know, and, and he just looks at his youth group and goes, oh, come on. It's been out for five days. You've had plenty of time to watch it. I bring this up because I am about to spoil a movie. Okay, I'm, a, I'm going to be a big hypocrite. I hate spoilers, but I'm going to ruin a movie for you today. However, I'm not nearly as cold-hearted as that youth pastor. Because this movie I'm about to spoil has been out for 23 years. Okay, so you've had plenty of time to go watch it. All right, this movie's older than some of you. All right, so don't whine and complain to me afterwards, okay? You could have seen this movie forever, all right? So the movie I'm going to spoil for you is The Sixth Sense. Now, if you've seen this movie, you know immediately what I'm going to say. If you've not seen it, let me set up the spoiler, right? By the way, some people put this movie in the horror genre, so those of you who don't like horror films, you might want to avoid it. So this is your opportunity to find out what it's about without having to, you know, actually watch it and be scared, right? Some people love that sort of stuff. So I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin it. The movie stars Bruce Willis. Bruce is a counselor. The movie starts with he and his wife about to sit down for dinner when there is a break-in in their home and it's one of his former patients who's deeply troubled, very upset, and in his anger ends up shooting Bruce right in the gut and then turns the gun on himself. Horrific beginning to a movie. But then you jump, and it says, like, the next fall. And there's Bruce, and he seems to have recovered from his shot. And you discover he's still working as a counselor, and he now has a new patient, a kid. This kid is deeply troubled, deeply disturbed, and weird things keep happening around this kid. And so you join Bruce in this adventure of learning what's going on with this little guy, and you start discovering that this kid thinks that he sees dead people. Famous scene where he's in bed, his face is all teary-eyed, and he whispers, I see dead people. And people get all these chills, Ooh. and Bruce Willis doesn't believe him. Eventually, Bruce, his marriage isn't going very well. He doesn't believe the kid, and he's just like, I, I don't think I can continue to be your counselor. I, I think you need to see someone else. Well, Bruce just can't put it away, and he ends up coming to a conclusion. The kid's telling the truth. He really can see dead people. So he goes back and finds the kid. They start trying to figure out why is this happening to him, and they decide maybe the dead people are drawn to him because this kid has a sixth sense. He has this ability to see and sense what these people need. So maybe he's actually supposed to help the dead. Well, that doesn't make sense. 
But they decide to put this theory to the test. So very shortly in the next scene or two, a little girl, probably about his age, shows up. She's dead. He's freaked out. But then he decides he wants to help her. Well, long story short, the mom had been poisoning her daughter, and the daughter had video recorded it. So she tells the little boy where a video cassette is. He goes to her house. He finds it as this funeral reception is happening. He gets the, the cassette. He gives it to the dad. The dad pops it in the machine and witnesses his wife poisoning their daughter, which caused her death. So now you're towards the end of the movie. The boy feels good because he's helped this girl. Some justice has been done. Bruce, the counselor, feels good because he's now helped this little boy through this. And they realize, like, we've done what we set out to do. Looks like the movie's going to come to a happy conclusion. And then the boy says, you know, if your wife won't talk to you, you might just try talking to her in her sleep. Some people are kind of more uh, responsive as they're in that in-between state. Bruce is thinking, well, that's kind of weird. You know, you're the kid. I'm the counselor. But all right, I'll take your advice. So Bruce goes home. And his wife's in the chair watching a video and he decides to attempt to have a conversation with his wife as she's sitting there asleep. All of a sudden, in that moment, Bruce realizes he's dead. Turns out that he was shot in the beginning of the movie and he really did die. But he's now a ghost. And so the only person who can see him is the little boy, not his wife. Now, I went on YouTube just hoping to see a few clips to remind me, like it had been like 20-some years since I'd seen this film. I needed to fully remember the plot. And I ended up stumbling onto these compilation videos of people showing their reactions, and they all had the same reaction. Their jaw would drop as that final scene is coming up. They'd like put their hands to their face, and they would all say the same. No! You mean... He was dead the whole time? And then some of them actually said, I've got to go and re-watch this movie. Now imagine what the rewatch would be like. Now when they watch it again, they no longer see Bruce with a troubled marriage. They now see a grieving widow. They would begin to see that the only person that Bruce's character talks through in the entire film after he is shot is the boy, and he talks to no one else throughout the entire uh, show. No one talks to him, I should actually say. You would begin to notice all sorts of details knowing that little tidbit because that twist changes the entire way you view the film. Now, the reason I chose to spoil that movie for you today it's because it is a perfect illustration for what we're going to see today. Jesus is going to do something with his disciples that he throws in a plot twist. And it totally changes the way they see something. As good Jewish boys, his disciples grew up celebrating the Passover meal. And as we study them having this last supper before Jesus' death, we're going to see Jesus throw in a plot twist that changes everything for his disciples. And to be honest, I really hope it changes everything for you too. So if you brought a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. 
Uh, if you do not have a Bible, I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen so you can read right along. Um, I just really encourage you, get a Bible. Uh, we're fine with digital Bibles, so download one to your phone if you haven't already. Um, if you're here in person and want a paper Bible, please stop by our resource table. We've got tables, uh, Bibles on that table, two different translations, and it's not just for you to use on Sundays. It would be our gift. You, it, it can become your personal Bible. So some of the people in our church family, you might notice that the Bible they're having is one they got off that table, and we are honored to let that be in your hands. If you're online, uh, feel free to use that Bible tab over there on the uh, right, or just send us an email, and we will get a Bible to you, and that way you can use it every Sunday. But the point is not just to open it on Sundays. We want you to open it on Monday and Tuesday and every day. So my, my thought is that by opening it up here on Sundays, it just makes it that much easier to open it on Monday. So that's why don't just rely on the screen. Get a Bible into your hands. All right, as we get ready to read from Mark 14, uh, let's pray, and then we'll start down there in verse 12. So Heavenly Father, we are about to come to the scriptures. These words were written way before any of us breathed our first breath, and these words will be here long after we breathe our last. And so, Father, I pray you would help us today to not just bring our biases to it, the, the, the experiences we've had in life, the, the things our culture tries to tell us, that instead we will allow the scriptures to shape us and form us. That we would not have the arrogance to think that we know far better than you who pinned these things through those human authors so long ago. But instead, you have truth here that you want to impact us and change us with. And so Heavenly Father, I ask that you teach us now that it wouldn't just be me and my words, but that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. You would touch the mind and heart of every single person who's connecting with us, whether here in person or online or listening later in the week. And do in us what you need to do, what you want to do, so you can also then do through us what you have already planned to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would jump down to verse 12 there in Mark 14, and uh, we're going to read through uh, 16. And on the first day of unleavened bread... When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Our words today begin with that phrase, on the first day of unleavened bread. Every year, the Jewish people would celebrate what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it would last one week. The feast always began with what was known as Passover. It was a celebration, I mean the entire week was, but especially Passover, was a celebration, a remembrance of what God did through Moses back in the book of Exodus in bringing the Israelite people out of Egypt. If you're not familiar with that story because you missed the animated movie, The uh, Prince of Egypt, uh, let me spoil that movie for you as well. I am such a hypocrite. Uh, I'm spoiling movies left and right today. Uh, Moses is sent by God to Egypt because the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. He ends up going into this, to, uh, uh, the, the country to ask the Pharaoh to release the people for three days. 
to go out into the wilderness to worship God. Well, the Pharaoh starts counting on his finger those three days, starts thinking of the lost hours, the lost production that these slaves would be, you know, not doing for those three days and decides, no, that's not a good idea. No, they can't go. So Moses ends up having to tell him, well, then God is going to begin to bring plagues against your nation. The plagues were wide-ranging. Some of them were frogs that covered everything, and, and then after that, it was gnats that came. Uh, there was also the wa- all the water turned to blood, so you couldn't drink for the, the, the time. Uh, everything went really, really dark. Um, there was also another uh, of hail. I mean, so it was just thing after thing after thing. Nine different plagues came against Egypt. Oh, by the way, all of those plagues were directly against a god that the Egyptians worshipped. It was the Israelite God saying, I am more powerful than your gods. And and, and idol after idol after idol was being defeated. And yet, despite these horrific nine plagues, every time at the end of one of them, the Pharaoh would say, no, the people cannot go. So God has Moses stand before the Pharaoh in Exodus 11 and declare one last tenth plague. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, this is speaking to the Pharaoh, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. This sounds incredibly cruel. And yet, when you realize how much the, uh, uh, harm the, the, the Egyptians had done to the Israelites, how, how they had abused them. Thousands of them had been killed over the, the 400 years they'd been in slavery. This was, in a sense, justice. And God was not going to discriminate. He was going to kill the firstborn from Pharaoh, the highest in the land, even down to the firstborn of a mama cow. But wait a second. That means he's also going to kill the firstborn of the Israelites. Well, yes, except God puts in place a plan to protect the firstborn of the Israelites. He has Moses go to the people and say, get a lamb and kill it, and with the lamb do this. Then they, the people, shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh of the lamb that night, roasted on the flyer with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, On the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land 
of Egypt. In case you didn't follow along, the people are supposed to take a lamb, they are to kill it, they are to take some of the blood from that lamb, and they are to paint it on their doorpost. So that when this angel of death, when God comes through Egypt, he will see that something has already died in that place, see the blood, and he will pass over and everyone inside shall live. But they were supposed to have their belts on, their sandals on. They were supposed to eat the, the lamb like roasted over the fire. They, they weren't to take the time for the, the, the bread to rise. They were to eat it unleavened with no yeast. Their staff was to be in hand because they were going to get ready to go. Because at the end of this, Pharaoh was not going to just let the people go for three days. The Pharaoh was going to let the people go forever. Their slavery was about to end. Now, right after where we quit, God ends up instructing the Israelites to celebrate this meal every single year to roast the lamb, to eat this unleavened bread, to to have these bitter herbs. They were to reenact this every year to remember what God had done for them and how he brought them out of slavery. And so throughout the centuries, the Jewish people celebrated this meal. Now, there were periods of time where they they forgot or they were just disobedient. But whenever they found it again and, and, and decided to return to God, they enacted this custom And so it was very customary for everyone to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover with lamb and unleavened bread and these bitter herbs. And so that is what is taking place in Mark 14. It is about the time for Passover. And Jesus' disciples, as good Jewish boys, realize, hey, it's Passover, but we don't have a headquarters. Like, we don't have a, a home We've been traveling around as, as Jesus has been teaching, as he's been healing where are we going to celebrate the Passover? So they ask Jesus, like, like, Jesus, do you have a plan? And Jesus is like, yeah, c- come here. It's, it, Mark tells us it's two disciples. Uh, in the book of John, or, I mean, sorry, in the book of Luke, it tells us that it's Peter and John. So Peter and John come to Jesus. He says, hey, I want you to head into Jerusalem. You're going to see a guy carrying water. That would stand out because typically women carried water. So to see a dude doing it would, would you know, stick out. You're going to follow this guy to a house. When he enters that house, you're going to knock, you're going to talk to the master, and you're going to ask, where's the upper room ready? So sure enough, they go into town, see the guy carrying the water, they knock on the house, the, 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 the door of the house where the guy enters, the master says, oh yeah, got the room ready. They go upstairs, and there it is, table, some pillows laid around, and a place that they can prepare the meal. So they begin to roast the lamb, they begin to prepare the unleavened bread, they prepare everything up there. And then eventually Jesus and the other disciples show up to begin to have a meal. We're going to talk about Judas uh, in two weeks. Uh, during the course of the meal, Judas ends up leaving. But two things happen within the course of this meal that were like plot twists. Things that completely changed everything for the disciples. The first plot twist came with the bread. If you still have Mark 14 open. Skip down to verse 22. As they were eating, he, Jesus, took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. The bread that Jesus has, as I've said, is unleavened bread. It's the feast of unleavened bread. The reason they would eat only unleavened bread at this Passover meal and through the entire week 
is to show solidarity with their ancestors. Their ancestors did not have time to wait for the yeast to, to spread through the dough and cause it to rise. They had to bake it right away because they're going to be leaving right away. And so in, in solidarity to remember what God did, they're having this unleavened bread. And so you've got this big, like, so in other words, think like a, a big cracker uh, rather than like something you get from Jimmy John's, right? So he would ho hold it up, the leader would hold it up, and in a typical meal, the leader, usually the father of the family, would hold that bread up and would say this, this is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. However, when Jesus holds up the bread, he doesn't just say this is the bread of affliction. He also says, this is my body. In other words, this is my affliction. This is my suffering. My body is going to be broken for you so that you might be released from the slavery to sin. I can't help but wonder in, in that moment, the disciples looked at one another and started asking, what is going on? Like, does this mean the Passover is all about Jesus? Like their jaws drop, maybe their hands go to their head, and they're like, you mean this whole time it's been about him? But to erase any doubts, Jesus moves on. Verse 23. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Typically, during a Passover meal, uh, you would drink four cups of wine. The first two cups happen before the meal. The second two cups happen after the meal. So usually you've, uh, there's some scripture reading, uh, a cup, some other scripture reading, some, some uh, little sh script you read through. You have your second cup. Then there's the breaking of the bread. You go into your meal. And then after the meal, you have cups three and then cup four. We learn in, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the four cups come from, Ezekiel, um, from uh, Exodus chapter six. Uh, in Exodus 6, Moses has already been sent to Egypt. He's shown up. He's told the Pharaoh, you got to let the people go. And, Moses, and, and Pharaoh has said no. And not only does the Pharaoh say no, the Pharaoh decides the audacity to ask for me to let you go. In fact, I'm going to now make things worse for you. And he, and he did. And he made it so bad that the Israelites turn on Moses and, and his, his brother Aaron. And, and basically like, you guys just made things worse. Like, go away. Get out of here. And so Moses is a little discouraged because the people are rejecting him. And God begins to encourage Moses and remind him, here's why you're here, here's what's going to take place. And this is uh, Exodus 6, 6 and 7. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The four cups that the people drink receive their names from these two verses. The first cup is known as the cup of sanctification. It comes there early in verse 6, where it says that I am the Lord, and I will bring you out 
from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance. The next phrase is, I will deliver you from slavery to them. Cup three is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then your last cup, it's, uh, some call it the cup of praise. Other people call it the cup of consummation. And it comes from the first phrase in verse 7, where, it's, where God says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Now, in Luke 22, we read that this cup that, that Jesus passes around, it happens after the meal. So that means this is either cup three or cup four. When Jesus takes it, though, rather than just referring to the passage here in Ezekiel 6 and 7, he goes further with it, saying, this is my blood, which establishes a new covenant with you. The idea being, this is my blood, which redeems you. Just as the blood of the lamb helped to redeem the people out of Egypt, the blood of Jesus redeems us out of slavery to sin. But it could also be cup four, the cup of praise or the cup of consummation. Because that cup comes from this idea that I will make you my people and I will be your God. This idea that we come back into a relationship with God. Sin took us away from God, ripped our relationship apart, plunged us into spiritual death, but through the blood of Jesus, a new covenant is established. We come back into a relationship with God. I, I just wonder what's going on with the disciples in this moment. This whole time, they thought Passover was about Egypt. They thought Passover was about God's work in bringing the Israelites out of slavery. This whole time, they thought it was a story about then, and now here they are sitting here, and this guy is saying, no, this is a story about me. That this whole entire time, this Passover meal that's been celebrated for centuries is now being fulfilled by this man. Because it is his body that is broken. It is his blood that was shed. And through him, we are saved, we are delivered, we are redeemed, and we are brought into a relationship with our God. I can guarantee that the very next year, when those disciples, as good Jews, sat down to celebrate the Passover meal, it was not just simply another meal. It was not just simply something full of warm, fond memories of times they'd spent with families. It wasn't just a remembrance of what took place in, in Egypt so long ago. They would think of Jesus. They would remember his crucifixion, his resurrection. They would remember seeing that body whipped and beaten. They would remember the amount of blood that was shed. And they would realize he rose again from the dead and he did it all for us. That plot twist, it changed everything for them. And my prayer is that it would change everything for you. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to hear, Jesus Christ came for you. He died on a cross, having his body broken and his blood shed so that you could have an exit, a way out from the penalty of your sin. The scriptures teach that the penalty of sin is death. Every single person ever born deserves that death. Not just the firstborn, everyone. And yet Jesus is the lamb who is sacrificed so that the, his blood could go over the doorpost of your heart so that death would pass you over and you could come into 
eternal life. If that's you, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. We started Riverwood Church for you. And I would love nothing more than for today to be your spiritual birthday. When you give your life to follow Jesus. Most people, when they make this decision, they mark it in prayer. They just simply confess their sin. And they they say, God, because you sent Jesus to die for me, I now give my life to follow you. But I also realize that a number of you have, have given your life to Christ. A number of you have already said, I am a follower of Jesus. And so I can think of nothing better than for us right now to celebrate the Last Supper. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have the ushers pass the elements to you. But rather than you just kind of take it, we're going to ask that you hold on to it. Because we're going to sing a a verse and then a chorus, and then we're going to partake of those elements together. We're going to first take the bread, and we'll we'll have that. We're going to then sing another verse and a chorus, and then we're going to have the juice together. So as we sing this first verse, stay seated. The ushers will pass the elements to you and hold on to that. And I'll come back up and lead us.